0: Hi, I'm Mark Haywood, and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places.
1: In order to go forward in our our habits as consumers of not just food, but everything, we have to look back at how we, we used to do things.
0: Nestled between the River Thames and an ancient thoroughfare known as the Highway is the East London district of Wapping. Steeped in history, this former docks was torn apart during the blitz of World War II. Despite being laid to waste, the ghosts of the past still very much wander its streets, punctuated by the buildings that remain standing against all odds. One of those buildings is my local, the Prospect of Whitby an historic pub overlooking a gallows which sits on the site of an ancient riverside tavern that once entertained sailors, smugglers and cutthroats as far back as the 1520s. Its deviant past really puts into perspective Sherlock Holmes's insistence that one should always carry a firearm east of Oldgate. Though since that time its reputation has flourished. There's a table upstairs by a bay window which was a favourite of Princess Margaret, and the walls now are covered in photos of Hollywood celebrities who in the 50s and 60s would frequent the nearby film studio. I'm eager to tell you about the history of Wapping, not just because it's fascinating, but because today's conversation in many ways requires us to cast our minds back to a time when life was very different, a time when food markets weren't just the only way of buying your groceries, but a deeply connected part of society a way of life. Will Cutteridge is the founder of the new Wapping Docklands Market, launching later this month, and he's my guest today. Chapter One, Winding Back the Clocks. The new Netflix documentary, Seaspiracy, is just one of a long list of programmes that have been waking consumers up to the reality of our impact on the planet. We're beginning to realise that we have very little control over what happens beyond the borders of our local town and neighbouring regions, and this is where history plays a crucial role. Looking back, it seems, is the only way we can move forward. Borrowing from our old way of living, markets are growing in popularity once again, as we become increasingly interested in where our food is coming from and the impact it's having on our environment. For Will and his market, though, the project doesn't just want to reflect on history, it's becoming part of it, celebrating it.
1: When you look from, from the tree-lined area, for, for those of you know, for the listeners who may know the site, you can see Bascule Bridge, which is this, you know, big sort of archaic-looking red bridge that was constructed, I think, back in the 1920s, 30s-ish, um, and, then, and then refurbished in, in the 1980s. And the history of the East End, the markets in the East End are so are so famous, and there's more a sort of street food trend than there is a fresh produce trend nowadays. But back in the sort of fifties and sixties, the East End was was littered with with produce markets because there were there weren't sort of big supermarket chains like there are now. So it was normal to do your weekly shop in markets, and you kind of got to know the producers. You got to know the people that also shop there, and I think that has a slightly more a more humble and a more interesting ring to it to me from a from a shopping experience it's more interactive and it's more fun than going to your your day-to-day supermarket and that's something that i really want to you know really want to bring back and that that's kind of the the ambition behind the project as well as the sort of sustainability stuff which i'm sure we'll come on to but the site itself really really did did leap out to me yeah i mean it's big you can get a lot of traders there um, and we're, we're going to focus on, on fresh produce at the front. And it's, it's just opposite the prospect of Whitby, which is the oldest Riverside riverside pub in London. Well, I, although I appreciate the town of Ramsgate also make the same claim. So one of them is the oldest. <laughs> one of them is the oldest, but that's certainly the closest.
0: Yeah. You're, you're right. There is a very rich history of of trading that goes on. Um, listeners might not know, but the the highway, which is the main thoroughfare, as the London marathon comes over Tower Bridge it turns right onto the highway and heads towards Canary Wharf on a a main thoroughfare called the highway that was uh, that's a huge part of of London folklore and London history um for those people that know tobacco dot there is a statue of a tiger outside tobacco dot there used to be a wild animal emporium on the highway uh, because wild animals were brought to London from all over the world to go to zoos or private collections elsewhere. They were literally unloaded off the river. Uh, And one day a tiger escaped and attacked a boy and the boy fortunately survived. But, you know, there is a a huge history, the river, the warehouses, you know, you get a sense of where people used to live. This is a trading part of London, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was the heart of I mean, you could argue the UK economy when it was, you know, operational back in, let's say, the, the 20s and 30s and going back from there, because everything came through London, everything came in there. If you actually go to the, the other side of the, um, the river and look back, you can see where the, um, you know, where the ships used to come in. There's, there's divides and that, that, um, those really lovely terraced houses are kind of right, um, you know, right, right in that old, I, I guess, dock in a way. Um, so you no, know, it's 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 definitely an old trading part of London, and that that certainly links back to the, um, the the market and trading and the market. Although I can't promise we'll be trading any animals, Mark. Maybe maybe an odd, odd elephant, you know, once a month, but certainly not any tigers. I
0: I don't think we'll I don't think we'll we'll hold you to uh, hold your feet to the fire on that one. That's that's probably. Right. <laughs> um, when you started to approach traders to be part of. The market uh, was that a difficult sell? I, I'm guessing not, but you have you know quite a lineup you know plan, don't you? Uh, just give us a sense of the scale of what the market's going to be.
1: Yeah, well, it's it, it's tricky at the moment because of COVID, we can't run at full capacity, so we will have um, just under thirty traders trading with us, and we will do a hard launch on the 26th of June, subject to the, those restrictions actually being lifted on on the 21st. Um, with 40 traders. Do you know what? S- selling it is actually quite easy. Again, linking back to the, to the history. People want, you know, even the traders, they want to trade in an environment that is exciting and that has um, something more to it than just somewhere for them to sell their their fruit and veg or their honey or their, you know, their bakeries or fishmongers and fishmongers and, and so on. And and I, I've I've worked in um in markets. I mean I can I'm sure we'll come on to, to a bit of bit of history about how I actually got into to markets. But I, I knew um quite a few traders before actually starting the project. Um so that, that did really help me kind of um push the sales along a little bit. But uh certainly dropping in the, the, the oldest riverside pub in London is bang opposite. I think I think must have brought me in at least three or four. <laughs>
0: Chapter 2, A Matter of Luck By now you'll understand just how deeply connected the site of Will's Market is to the history of Wapping. But the more closely you look at the wider area, the greater the story unfolds. Nearby you have an iconic site that's featured in countless television and film productions, the Wapping Hydraulic Power Station, which back in its day used to power all the West End theatre curtains. Then, on the other side of the highway, you have the Troxy, once an old cinema remembered in photos from the Blitz, during which people battled fires caused by bombs dropped nearby. And further out, of course, you have Whitechapel and the story of Jack the Ripper. By paying particular mind to the history of the area, Wills Market is doing more than simply providing fresh produce to the locals. It's a way of reconnecting us to the wider story of the East End's past – but turning to a different story now, let's find out how Will became involved in the business of markets.
1: It's just a story of of sheer luck, really. And and um, I, I worked in property for five years um, as an as an apprentice uh, at a big uh, big property firm. You know, as an apprentice, I didn't have terribly much money to put together. So I put I worked in um, in pubs a lot up north where where I'm from in, in Holloway and Archway, and. I, I sort of wanted to reclaim my evenings a little bit Um so i, I was speaking to um, someone who i knew from the gym and they uh, said well if you're looking for sort of more daytime work you should get in touch with with the padfield family who uh, run a dairy farm in, in bath called bath soft cheese really 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 good cheese they do soft cheese hard cheese uh, an award-winning blue cheese it's it's incredible so I got in touch with um with them and and within two weeks i was selling their cheese across their network of markets in london and and i had my evenings back and it sort of grew from there really the fascination for it almost felt like i was going back in time it was it didn't kind of feel like you know the, the um traders actually trade like like a sort of goat for for milk you really do kind of I, I take some cheese to the fruit and veg guy, and he gives me some fruit and veg, and there's there's all this sort of swapping that goes on within the markets between the between the producers, and and, and on top of that, actually having a, a kind of um, a connection to the producers and knowing them and knowing exactly where the food has come from, I just really kind of I really got hooked on it. And I, I wanted to be involved and eventually my it came came to my, my knowledge that just a career in in uh, in a large corporate firm just really wasn't for me. Um and, and I knew I wanted to um wanted to to start a business. It's been a, a kind of dream of mine for, for quite a while. I mean, I'm looking at a, a Richard Branson book that my mum gave me when I was about 15, I think, when I first started sort of talking about the the idea. And and that's where it, it it sort of came. So moving out of my, my property career, it seemed the the natural the natural first business to start was in was in street markets. And then this site came about and I I learned more about, about street markets and, and the history of street markets in the East End. Um and and the the idea really started going from there. Of course, all linked with the with the sustainability stuff again, which will which we'll come on to.
0: There's a bizarre fascination that we have for markets, um, they're not just places to shop or places to barter, you know, in your case, they are places to go and exist and hang out and and weirdly take photos. If I think about, you know, bigger markets in London, um, listeners will, will know probably of Borough Market, um, which seems to be 90% tourist trade, maybe 10% local trade, but the preponderance of places that you can buy food, to have on the hoof and and take away with you probably overshadows the places where you can actually buy produce. It's it's an end-to-end package, isn't it? People like to exist and spend time in markets that goes way beyond the transactional nature of purchasing food and drink. Um, The community aspect of that is huge and I think it will have an effect here. It's a very residential place it's a it's a community that has been under lockdown like everyone else for a long time do you have high hopes you know restrictions um notwithstanding that this will be a place that the local community really connects with
1: absolutely i mean going back to your to your point about um you know borough market and others and other street markets what frustrates me in a way is i think they're wasted i think Markets are seen more of an event than they are a shop. And that is really what I want to tap into. And I think Wapping is a fantastic area to, to do that. People come for street food. They don't come for produce. And, and I think people, you know, what our marketing is certainly targeted for people actually to, to change their habits and think, actually, I can go and shop at Wapping Docklands Market. And, you know, it's more of a place to be. And it's more of um, it's more of an experience. And I think that's something that I really want to to, to get across the people that they can they can shop in the market. That's more fun. It's less of a chore. It's not a you know, it's less of a chore and more of an experience. And also, you've got the average food that's sold in the supermarket travels over a thousand miles to get to its destination. I don't know if you've read the latest the latest blog, but three of our traders, um, one was 50 miles, one's 100 miles and one's about 130 miles. And that That's a significant difference in the, the the kind of impact on the environment and, and obviously our markets as well. Um, we work with all of our producers to, to reduce and eliminate the plastic consumed throughout their operation. So we've got the sort of um, carbon emissions and we've covered the, um, the, the, the plastic stuff. So shopping in a market is, is much more sort of sustainable and it's much more fun. Um, and I think people should, should see it less as an event and more of, a, um, more of somewhere to actually do their weekly shop, as well as having lunch, which is obviously on offer as well.
0: Chapter three, reframing sustainability. The modern age has become one in which every action we take is scrutinised, from our over-reliance on plastic to the amount of petrol our cars are burning through, or the air miles we rack up on our holidays. Many of us feel guilty about the things we do, and although guilt can be a powerful motivator, too much of it can cause us to switch off entirely. As sustainability plays a front and centre role in the market, Will says there are better ways to motivate people to do the right thing.
1: We're having compostable bins throughout our um, our market, which you know the the main substitute for plastic, um, particularly in a street food setting, is compostable packaging. And and it, it's really important to me that that we actually look at this as something to be excited about because we've got two choices with plastic and the environment: we either feel guilty about it and make it worse, or we feel excited about it and and, and work towards solutions and make it better. Whilst we don't have a completely zero plastic market, because the problem with having a zero plastic market is you exclude people. And when you're doing the sales to say, you're, we're a zero plastic market, a lot of producers will just go, oh, I can't be bothered. But whereas we we proactively make an effort to help them, we say, look, we're, we're not a zero plastic market, but by taking a, a pitch with us, we will help you make sustainable changes to your business to help you get to a zero plastic operation, because people are busy running their businesses, they don't want another kind of thing to worry about. Um, so that's one aspect. And then coming back to the to the actual customers who are shopping in the market every week, in order to start feeling less guilty, just simply by shopping with us, you're you're helping and and starting a trend towards a more sustainable shopping experience. The biggest battle that that we come across is um, shelf life. The classic example is a cucumber. It lasts three times longer in plastic than it does on on its own. Um, And and that's a really, really hard, um, hard one to to get by at the moment because there simply is no alternative. The alternative is to package up your produce in more sustainable packaging, but it it won't last as long. Therefore, our our producers are are losing money. Um, And it it is annoying that it has to, there there has to be a financial aspect to the problem you you would you would kind of hope that we would just and um, kind of fess up to it and, and, and change regardless but that's also part of our mission and part of our part of our challenge it, our alternatives and our solutions they have to be economically viable sustainably viable they've got to be practical otherwise it's just not going to catch on and if it doesn't catch on for our producers it won't it won't for our consumers either
0: a few weeks ago i spoke with wine expert, Helen McGinn, and and I said, I have a particular fondness and association to wines if I've been to the winery or vineyard and, and potentially met the winemaker or been on a tour of the estate. It's the same with food, isn't it? If we are able to connect with the person that has either farmed it or produced it or been responsible for getting it to the market and then selling it to the consumer we're much more likely to have an appreciation for it as an end-to-end product rather than something that we just buy to take home to put in the fridge and then cook that's all part of the footprint isn't it if you as a consumer connect with the producer you have a deeper understanding of how it's been grown or farmed, how far it's traveled, you know, what has gone into that product. Whereas if you go to a supermarket, I think, even though it says, you know, from Kenya or from Ethiopia or wherever it might be, I'm not entirely sure that resonates with us as much as it does. We meet the person that's been directly responsible for putting it into the bag, to handing it over and thanking us for our business. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, definitely, and I and I listened to that podcast, and I I loved what you said when you 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 said that wine is it has so much of a um, of a story behind it, and so many people just go to the shop, pick up a bottle of wine and drink it, and don't think about that they don't actually get into wine until they understand the story behind it, and then you went into a point where you, where you you said that so much of everything in life can be so easily overlooked and so many interesting and fascinating stories can be so you know easily just just disregarded because you're you're not aware of what you're consuming and i think exactly the same can be applied to to markets you do develop a personal relationship with the producers you know a lot of the time the the producers on the stalls are are either the owners the owners daughters you know children um nieces nephews there's there's a, there is a real connection to the source of the food and also the, the fact that it's traveled so so much less, um, you know 900 miles in, in, in a lot of cases. The flavor and the freshness is actually a lot better.
0: We're recording this just before Easter. The market will launch just after Easter. Just give us a sense, well, how excited are you about what this could mean?
1: I'm hugely excited about about this, this project. And, you know, it's, it's fantastic for the people of Wapping to to have a food market there. Um, and I think I think it could really catch on, particularly, you know, going back to your point about about the history of the area, because markets are in themselves a historical, even though this market isn't a historical, um, you know, artifact that they, they are a historical thing to have within within the community and i think for those who have a who have a keen eye on on the property industry or or the retail industry for for um more specifically you'll notice that high street shops are changing there are more butchers coming back there are more small bakers coming back and i really i really think that there's a there's a shift at the moment in order to go forward in our in our habits as consumers of not just food, but everything. We have to look back and at how we we used to we used to do things. You know, in the in the 50s um, and, and probably the sixties as well, the um, the market was the length of the commercial road. The whole commercial road had market stalls the whole way along it selling pears and you know, you name it everything, to kind of bring back that kind of market atmosphere and that feeling and that sense of community to whopping. Um, it's something that I'm hugely passionate about and, and um, you know, hugely excited to, to bring to, to East London.
0: Conclusion: A massive thank you then to Will Cutteridge for today's episode. And to recap, what have we learnt? Having a direct link to the owners and families behind market stores makes the food and experience feel more real. Play an active role in engaging with your audience so they can develop a more personal, meaningful relationship with your writing. Markets make shopping less of a passive experience and more of something to be enjoyed. Don't let your audience feel alone in their enjoyment of your work. Build online and physical communities for them to come together and connect with the stories you're telling. And finally, sustainability has never been more important than it is now in all walks of life. Before you send your next project to the printers, think about the things you can do to mitigate your impact on the planet. And as a writer, never forget that you can always use your powers for good. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. Let us know what lesson you've taken away from this week's episode. And as always, do share any suggestions for future guests or discussions. We'd love to hear from you. You can either give us a like or leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at Behind the Spine. We'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, goodbye for now. Stay safe and keep writing.
1: This podcast is produced by Oli Giyu Podcast Production. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.